Hello, everybody. Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Carol Francis from Make Life Happen. So glad you could join us today with Teresa Joyce. And Teresa, hello. How are you this morning? Hello, Carol. I'm very good, thank you. It's actually evening here in England. It's 6 o'clock, but yeah, I've had a good day. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I didn't get you out of bed in the middle of the night. Yes, you're you're from... Uh, but what part of England are you from, Joyce? I live in a town called Bristol. Um, to be honest, most of my interviews are done in the States, so um, I'm used to staying up late at night, so this is a nice, refreshing change oh. for me. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us. You know, listeners, this is this is truly a, an amazing treat for us. She is an individual that I have followed on Facebook, or and we've connected a, a bit. And I've just been so impressed by the level of vulnerability and expressiveness, Teresa, that you that you share in in those media's. And um, I know that that's part of what you're wanting to convey is that it seemed like it became time to share a story, your story, and I know it must have been very, uh, very painful, um, that in order to help you and help others. And can you begin to tell us a bit about your story? Yeah, okay. Um, if I try to put it sort of in caption, I guess, it's it's about abuse, about um, mental health and about recovery. Those are three key sort of figure points out there. Uh my story ranges from when I was a child up into into my adulthood, um, where the memories mm-hmm. as a child were suppressed, which I didn't actually remember, obviously, because they were suppressed until there was a trigger point that happened in my life as an adult that caused that to happen. So mm-hmm. the book is about that, really, but um, the childhood abuse is a sort of um, something that didn't come to the, fore, to the fore until I became an adult and those trigger points were made. So um, tell us the first, tell us the title of the book. So people that are listening, you can look it up online right now and order it. So tell us the title of the book. Yeah, the name of the book is There's a Fine Line. There's a Fine Line. And There's the reason for the title is? Okay, um, I didn't actually choose a title until I ended or finished the book. Basically, um, I didn't know quite what to call it. And I sort of... To things rushing around in my head and then I sort of realized that there was a very fine line that I walked mm-hmm. and there was a very fine line that my stepfather had also walked. His was on the side of um, insanity and mine was on the side of sanity. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, I nearly crossed over to his side of the line so many times because of the pressures and um, the things that mm-hmm. were going on in my life regarding him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that sort of means a lot to me because it was a very, very fine line that I stayed on, to be honest with you. I nearly did go right over with him. Wow. Well, what ha- in, in Teresa, I, just, I feel like there's this, like, egg, a, this huge ostrich egg of, of information that you have inside of you to share with everybody. And I'm so eager to, to have that disclosed so that people will, people will be able to go, oh, yes, yeah, I know what she's going through, or oh, wow, yes, I wake up to what's been driving them that they don't know. Um, or just to be sympathetic for people that have gone through this and really get it as opposed to just kind of being perplexed by it. Um, so uh, to walk us 
through the path you want us to walk through as those who listen want to recover or they're wondering what's going on in their life. Okay, that's um, that's a big one, really, because recovery yeah. is what we're all sort of striving for. Uh, and I don't think um, sometimes we find it that easily or that quickly. I I went for many years without finding someone I could connect to or, you know, relate to, which is a very big word because throughout our lives, whatever we do in different scenarios, we find we can relate to some people and we can't to others. And for me, for many years, that was the case. Um, my book is uh, really because of the person I met, which was a psychiatrist that I eventually um, came in contact with that sort of said to me, you know, if we can't be in, in session or there's thoughts going on in your head that you can't deal with, write them down. Um, and that's how mm-hmm. my book started. Uh, there wasn't um, sentence properly or paragraphed. It was just words of me venting, you know, sort of mm-hmm. getting my emotions sort of out there, really. And at some point, they, you know, I started to make sense of it. Sentences were being mm-hmm. made and paragraphs were sort of forming. And then mm-hmm. I sort of realized how therapeutic it was for me. And I, at that point in time, you know, I pressed delete I thought, okay, I need to write this as a book because I know there's others out there that really need um, this help. And yeah. I knew it was working, so that that was how it happened, really. And that's the reason that you decided to share your story, or was it something very personal as well? Yeah. For many years, um, you know, I was looking for recovery. There, there was a, a very big factor in my life um, that changed things for me. I mean, meeting that psychiatrist was one sort of main factor, but um, the one that really made me feel as though I, I was glad I was still on this side of life with my grandson. Mm. I mean, when he was mm. born, I remember sitting one day here with him asleep um, on my lap and his little hand sort of wrapped around my finger. Uh, and I sort of looked down mm. at him and thought, um, you know, this is a miracle of life. I could have missed this if I hadn't made that decision to wow. to heal myself and to sort of... So that was all about me, really. I know it sounds pretty selfish, but that was my recovery. Um, and Beautiful. it wasn't until I actually made my own recovery that I could give to others because obviously you can't give what you don't have. So for me um, to help other people, I had to heal myself. And he was the main, main factor. I'm, I'm debating whether or not Joyce to take you down what actually started happening as you recalled it later, or would it be better to to see what life was like before these repressed memories began to to be revealed to you but what's what's the path that seems to match most the way you experienced it i'm sorry the line's really really bad can you repeat that question oh you know i've noticed i'm noting that as well so yes um, pad line <laughs> um so listeners bear with us on this one when when you i'm, I'm debating between whether or not to take ask you to take us down the events that took place with your stepfather that you have disclosed in your book, or to talk about what it was like to live life, not remembering that it happened, and going forward, but it, was there like a haunting or a ghost that something was troubling you or things were not settled right? What, what way do you want to go? I don't mind answering either questions. Um, the the route I went down with my stepfather was obviously um, sexual abuse. Um, it was blackmail. It was um, intimidation. Um, you know, I had sort of letters coming through my door when I tried to actually end what he was calling the affair, and for me it was abusive relationship. Um, you know, and it, it, he was haunting me. You know, I, I used to look at my wing mirror when I was driving along, and sometimes, you know, nine times out of ten he would be behind me. So 
it was oh total, you know, he pursued me endlessly to a point where um, I got to where I took, tried to take my own life. And if anyone out there is listening right now, please know that's not the right thing to do. You know, I woke up the next morning in hospital really knowing that I'd made a mistake. And that was, I guess, another pinnacle point in my life where I knew um, I had to take back my life. I had to take charge. So, uh, yeah, he drove me to that point. Um, and wow. sometimes I really think maybe I had to go that far. And when I sort of sit now and think about things, uh, I really believe um, in the past that we're supposed to walk. And I know it sounds pretty bizarre because the one I walked has been quite difficult and painful. But I couldn't have gone um, where I've been in, in order to help those that I can because I wouldn't have that experience. So sometimes I sort of sit, sit and think, you know, a bit thoughtful and and. You know, for me, it's a trade-off because of what I'm doing now for other people. Um, okay, I had those bad things happen to me, but I wouldn't be able to hold my hand out to help others if it hadn't. So, you know, it sounds a bizarre thing to sort of say there, but that's actually really true for me. So, so does that give it purpose or does that give you power to to say, you know, I can use this to benefit others or, or does it feel like a survival statement? It just helps you remember to survive? Oh no, absolutely not. Um I'm I'm not a survivor. I'm 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 totally healed, you know. I, I was wow. a survivor for many years. I, I'm I'm now a healed soul, so it's not about that at all. And it's not really power. Um it's it, it's about saying to other people that you know, I've done this. I've found the Holy Grail, and if I can do it, you can do it too. I'm nothing special. I'm no one different. Uh, it's just when you get to that point in life, um, you know, that you can take back your own life. Uh, my purpose in life right now is to sort of say to people, well, you know, if you can't do this on your own, I'm willing to help you. My email address, my website, I answer all personal email. My contact um, details are on there. It, it, it's, it's not about all out there in the media, you know. If I never sell a book, then it doesn't matter to me. It's about mm. touching stories that, you know, um, have happened to me. Um, I'm not actually sure if I emailed you about a lady um, that I sort of got in contact with in New York. Did, did I send you that, Carol, or not? Oh, yes, that was a very touching story. Go ahead and tell that. Yeah, okay. Um, it was when I was sort of starting out. I wrote my book, and, um, you know, I was a fledging author. Uh, I never knew I was going to write a book. Uh, obviously, it was not something I ever thought about as a career choice. But, you know, it's hard work. It's hard slog. And uh, it's a case of, you know, sitting next to your computer and e- emailing, dropping emails to hosts like yourself that may be kind enough to, you know, offer you a show a show option. Um, this one lady took me many, you know, I knew I wanted to talk to her, and I couldn't understand why, um, and it took me an awful long time to find her email address. At one point, I sort of thought, well, you know, I can't find this. I'm just going to drop it and go, you know, move on. But something inside my head told me that I I shouldn't do so. I, you know, So I persevered, found the email address, and sort of sent, I guess, the same sort of email as you yourself received. Um, within, well, probably less than 10 minutes, I had an email back from her asking how uh, I'd found her and how I'd found her email address and how I knew she needed me at that point in time. And, you know, which was quite confusing for me at that moment, you know, because I wasn't quite understanding. I emailed back, uh, you know, that this is what, who I was, this is what I was doing, and this is my book. Um, and she emailed back basically saying to me that I more or less had just saved her life. If wow. I could explain that a little bit more, her son um, was quite ill. He was in and out, in and out of um, hospital, you know, with mental health. And, you know, he kept trying to take his own life. And she got to a point that, that time, that day, where for her, she couldn't continue on because he was at a really bad place and he was refusing to go back into hospital. 
And she sort of sat on her own in another room away from him and sort of thought, you know, I need out. I want out of this, which I really understand that sort of, you know, that feeling because I've been there. And my email arrived on her um, on her BlackBerry, is, you know, at that moment in time where she was ready to give up. Uh, you know, we emailed back and forth two or three times, and I actually rang her in New York, um, and we spoke. And, you know, after a few months, we were still sort of in contact, and she sort of explained to me that he'd gone back into therapy, was in hospital, and he was about to be released, and he turned a huge corner in his life. And that was, um, you know, so that story for me, like I said, if I never sold a book, that story will take me to my you know, to the end of my days, knowing that I helped that one person, that I made that difference for that life. And that's my purpose, that's my passion. So it's not about go buy my book, it's about me saying, I'm here to help you if you let me. That's beautiful. I know that a lot of listeners are going to be, you know, have this particular radio broadcast available to them for decades. And the ability for people to look online and say, is there anybody out there that's going to understand me or help me understand myself? And to know that, yes, there is, and there you are, Teresa. And so this is like so, uh, uh, it's a gift that you would go inside yourself with such pain to have to look at and then say, look, and I'm going to reveal this to everybody uh, um, because I want you to know and I want you to be healed. So can you can you tell us what your stepfather did? What were the pursuits? What were the houndings? Can you can you move those who have not experienced this so that they can feel the horror, the fear, the the experience of not being yourself, the need to dissociate, the 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 self image attitudes, or in all these collections of experiences that are about this awful event? Help us step right into your shoes as much as we can. Okay. Um. Wow, there's loads of things out there. I mean, disassociation is something quite major because you need, you can't stay within the person you are. So you create these other, um, you know, these other entities, these other people, alter egos, if you want to call it that, because you can live that part of your life at that moment in time. So you, you look for somebody you think is strong within you. The real truth is that they're all inside you anyway. It's just that, you know, the jigsaw, all the all the pieces are in the wrong place. You just have to sort of rearrange. Um, maybe you need help putting the right pieces, you know, in the right place again. So, and that's where, for me, my psychiatrist came into my life and did that. Um, you know, there's so many things. Self-worth, you think you don't think you have any worth. You know, it's a case of, you know, I used to walk past mirrors and avoid looking into the mirror because I thought there was a, mm-hmm. something evil looking back at me. You know, the, the entity, that the image I was seeing, um, you know, I protested. I thought this person was evil and, you know, everything I was receiving and had received up to that point in my life, you know, should be expected because of my actions. They were, you know, my own oh. my own sort of um, evilness sort of re- resonating out and affecting the way I was in my life and everyone around me. Oh. Um, I mean, there's so, there's so many things that people sort of sit and think, um, I mean, what did he do? I, I was blackmailed. I, um, you know, I... He followed me. He, you know, he wrecked my car one day when I was at work. Um, he sent letters to the door. He beat people up that I cared about because he he would do so to make me, to, you know, to do what he wanted. He ran me one day. Um, uh, to uh, and this is within my book. A lady that I later had a relationship with, um, because I have put in my life. But I'm chucking a sort of spanner in the works there. But we'll come back to that one if you ask me in a moment. Um, okay, but he rang me to say that if I wasn't at this lady's house within, uh, you know, ten minutes, 
she had a shotgun in the car and he was going to shoot her. Uh, and I was driving home and I sort of thought, you know, this is just rubbish. He won't do this. And I sort of arrived at my own home and thought, yeah, he will do this. And I drove oh. and you went to her house and he was actually sitting outside with a gun. I, I'm, your listeners must be thinking, and to be honest, when I when I first sent my book to my publisher, they asked, and you might be about to say, was it fiction? Um, you have to read the book to know, but it's it's all fact. Everything in there is the truth. And, you know, this man was capable of, you know, and I knew that. It was a judgment call. I knew I had to actually go there. Would he have shot her? Absolutely, you know. Um, and there were so many other things within that book that, you know, this man was, as I said, on the a very thin line. Um, I mean, when it all sort of came to the fore and it was all sort of checked out there because I could no longer deal with what was going on in my life, you know, he arrived at my house one day and he'd severed his own finger as a way of an apology um, he'd read somewhere in a book uh, or in a film, I'm not quite sure which, but that uh, a Samoan warrior, if he um, offended another family, that was their way of repentance, you know, or to, to apologize was to, to remove part of their finger to give to this other family as a, uh, you know, as a gesture. And he'd really sort of gone from his house, walked down to his garage, severed his finger, sort of got in the car, went to the hospital, had his finger stitched, and then arrived at my house with this, you know, gruesome gift, to say, I'm sorry. I mean, mm. these things, you know, the things within my book may sound farcical, but they're all very true, and they're all sort of, you know, mm. relevant. Um, yeah, I walked, I walked past, past the hell, my own hell, but, you know, I looked into the into the fire, and I'm here. So if I can do so, so can anyone else out there. Can you, can you give us a time reference about when this started in your life and, and when, when it ended? These types of horrors from your stepfather. I'm awfully sorry, Carol, but this line is so, so bad. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. Can you give me a feel for when it when it started in your life and when it ended? Okay. Um, the abuse started, I guess, again, um, because the other abuse wasn't remembered. When I was around 35, that went on for a 10-year period or, or near as of. Uh, that went on for four years and until I, you know, tried to take my own life and found the strength, I suppose, to take back me. And that's when the letter started, which was the time. There was a reference in there all the time within the letter. He would say this one thing, um, you know, you'll always be my little brown girl. And I knew it meant something mm-hmm. to me, but I didn't know why or what. And that went on for some some weeks, mm-hmm. really, probably a couple of months. And then one day mm-hmm. I read the same words and um, they meant something. And I realized mm-hmm. uh, and sort of... It was a bit like taking the lid off Pandora's box because the memories came flooding in. I didn't want mm. to own them. You know, they were alien to me. Uh, I always thought mm. my childhood was happy. Um, you know, so I wanted to remove myself from that situation. But the reality was that was my situation. That was my life. Um, so it wasn't until mm. I was not sure or thought, I suppose, that the childhood abuse memories came back to me. So... If we were to say in all, I mean, there was a period of time when I left home. I was about two months off 16, and my stepfather said to me one day, if you live within his home, I live within his rules. And even at that point in time, I knew I couldn't live within his rules, but I really didn't know why. But something deep within my conscience must have told me that I needed to, you know, to get out of that place and, you know, to leave those those um, sort of things behind. So I got on the bus. I went to the center of the town I live in, and I joined the Royal Air Force. Um, and mm. I was away, I guess, for four years. I then came home, met Mara, my husband. So I never actually moved back into the family home where my stepfather was. Mm. But you know, to be honest, um, if I try and think how long has he affected my life, probably forever since my mum remarried when I was seven. Yes. 
It started when you were seven years old, now that you can recall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So thank you for putting it in reference. I, I've worked with people who have, uh, you know, been molested as babies, age two on up, and, and the, the impact of of the age, the confusion, having to turn your, your brain off, your presence off, the dissociativeness, the amnesia associated to it. it you know, when you began to wake up, gee, this did happen to me, and look at these crazy things he's continuing to do. When you began to wake up, um, what what did you do with the, the you you had become not remembering those items? Well, you know, I've thought about this question so many times. You don't know you you anymore. You question who you are um, because your memories aren't the ones that, you know, were relevant at that point in time before that sort of clematis or clematis event is sort of remembered by yourself. You, I, I was lost. I didn't know who I was for, for many years. And I suppose, um, yeah, until I met that lady, like I've said earlier, um, then I, I found myself again. But you don't know you. You, you you don't trust your you know your instincts. You don't trust your memories. You don't trust anyone around you. Uh, you know you become an island. Um, you try you, you get so insular and you sort of go inside yourself really, um, because the only person you can trust is the person that looks back at you every day in the mirror. And that's um, that that went on for an awful long time. And I know there's people out there listening that um, are understanding these words as I'm saying it to yeah. them. You have to find you. Um, and I say this within every interview because I'm always asked, you know, what was the major thing in my life that sort of altered the way I was, as in dealing with what happened to me. And, you know, it's all about forgiveness. Forgiveness, I had to forgive me because the, the child within me, we all have yeah. that, and I had to forgive me for the for the um, what I thought was my, you know, my input to what had happened to me. And there was no input what happened yeah. to me. I was a child. But you don't, you know, when you remember as an adult, you 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 think you should have been able to to stop that or to change it or to do something differently. Mm-hmm. What did right. you do or put out there um, that made that happen to you? Because you must have done something. Mm-hmm. The fact of life is that's not true. You were a child, mm-hmm. so one forgive you, two forgive your you know your abuser. Um, and I'm always sort of questioned on that one. Why would I forgive him? And my answer to that is mm-hmm. I I forgive him. Mm-hmm. I haven't forgotten because forgiving isn't mm-hmm. forgetting. I still remember it, but I have to to let go because if I don't let go, I will continue to drag that along with me. My past will stay there. He will stay there, not by his making. He's been gone for many years. He's only here if I allow him to be. So I have to forgive him. So, you know, forgiving is not forgetting. That's a memory you'll always have, but you learn to live with those memories because if you forgive, then you can let go. If you don't, then you'll, you'll carry on forever with this, you know, this weight on your shoulders and this, you know, this, awful feeling inside your head that there's something you did. Uh, uh, you know, it isn't true. You did nothing. You know, you, you just had mm. to be there, but you were a child. Mm. Wow. Okay, so now this word forgiveness. Um, I've, uh, in, in working for 32 years with individuals who have been survivors of sexual abuse, um, uh, there was a, an era, and Teresa, you may kind of know about that since you may have gone through a lot of books or looking for a lot of answers where forgiveness was the avenue to people being able to let go, just like what you were saying. However, what I experienced with these people that I had a chance to um, be part of their recovery was that it wasn't um, that, this, that, that they began to be vexed about feeling guilty about not being able to forgive. Um, and it was 
uh, almost like that became the tormentor. It was I should forgive, I should forgive, I should forgive, as opposed to, wait a minute, you were egregiously treated, you were terrified, you were taken advantage of, you were a dependent child, innocent, and you were manipulated and charged with doing things that were just inappropriate and for your psyche, for your sense of safety and trust. So forgiveness um, is a tricky path at best. So I'm going to ask you to elaborate more. I've gotten to the point, and you can absolutely knock this down, Teresa, but I've gotten to the point where I say, if you can move to your own freedom to where you're released enough that if that person were truly repentant and able to heal you by the repentance, then you would be able to shift into an attitude of forgiveness. Perhaps that's the the state to be in, that you would be able to shift into that if that other person were willing to honestly, honestly say to you, I'm so sorry, terrifyingly chagrined, you know, whatever they need to say to you to say they were wrong, but that to not carry the burden of having to forgive someone before you walk into your own freedom to be enraged and angry and um, standing up for yourself that this shouldn't have happened. Well, I've gone on and on because you see what I'm trying to do is Mm. what do you mean by forgiveness and when does I should forgive become a trap and when does forgiveness become um, what you actually shift into as a form of freedom to be back to yourself. Well, there's a key word there, it's guilt, you know, because you feel guilty for everything. So you you feel guilty because you must have done something to, you know, invite this person to invade you. You feel guilty because you can't stop it. You feel guilty because you're affecting other people's lives. You feel guilty because you can't get um, on that road to recovery. Everyone's telling you you should be on. And then you feel guilty because you're told you should forgive and you can't. So, you know, there's all these, it's all about guilt. Um, it's, it, it's a path of realizing that there isn't a guilt. Um, the state of mind I got to wasn't somebody telling me I should forgive. They could have told me that a million times, you know, six months previously, and I would mm-hmm. never have been able to forgive. I would never okay. even, but I would have felt guilty about the fact that they may have mentioned to me, you know, if they would have said to me, <laughs> well, if you don't forgive, you're never going to move on. And I, as you just you know, say quite nicely there, I was sat and thought, well, what's wrong with me? I can't forgive. You know, these people are telling me other people do this. Why can't I? But there's no button you can push. There isn't something that someone can say to you that will trigger that reaction. Forgiveness is not something that is written down or or even, you know, printed in a book or something that someone says to you. It's about really knowing it inside of yourself. You know, you don't have to feel guilty anymore because you can put it down. That's what I'm trying to sort of get to here. It's not about, um, it's about that. It's about putting it down, being able to put it down mm. and nobody having mm. to tell you that you have to um, because right. all all the points until you reach that, all, all the points that are trigger points are points that make you feel wrong because you're doing something wrong. Once again, you can't do. Right. Once again, you are doing something, you know. So, you know, it, it's all about that. It's about um, you, you realizing that nobody has to tell you, nobody has to write this down. You actually believe it. That's inside of you. You feel this feeling, and you can put it down. That's what it's about. It's in you. It's, no one can put it there. You have to go there on your own. But we can all do that. There's no one out there listening to me right now that can't do that. The mm. only time, the, the only difference is, is the time frame. But you don't have to run. You know, one foot in front of the other. It becomes a stride. Then it becomes a mile. Walk towards a mountain. Suddenly it's a hill. 
there is no you know there is no set point or structure in in your recovery it's when you mm. can do it and you will know that that will come to you at that point in time you can't rush it no one can force it on you but it's out there but you have to believe you have to believe you can because that's the first step mm. that's interesting what, what where does rage fit in with that where does rage and and standing up for yourself and the indignation of being violated and the uh um, the appall that a human being would have corrupted the inside of you that way. Where, where does rage fit or hatred or that, those sorts of emotions? Wow, I felt all of those, rage, hate, you know. Um, I remember one particular day, I, um, I used to work in an accounts department and I used to teach aerobics and weights part-time. Um, my mm-hmm. stepfather had taken it into his mind to turn up at my classes to watch me from the balcony. Um, oh, intimidation, no. you know, just to re- remind me he was there. And I left that class one day, and I was driving home, and my mobile rang. Now, I need to explain here, I was self-employed, and a lot of the numbers that rang me was were withheld, so I had to answer the phone. So I had no way knowing whether it was him or somebody else, which he was aware of. Um, um, and so if I changed the number, he would get the number, because I also worked part-time in the office. So there was no sort of getting away from as that sort of point in time. The, the number was yeah. the number. If I changed it, he would find it. Um, he rang me that day to say if I didn't go, he'd got. It was a Sunday morning, and um, he'd gone back to the office, and he rang me from there, and said if I didn't come to the office within sort of the next half an hour, that he was going to shoot himself, and then I would have to explain to my mother uh, his death. You know, his blood would be on my hands. Um, oh my God! Could I live with that? And he sort of really sort of got me at a point there. Um, my mum was my, you know, my life, my world. She had such a awful life with my real father, which again, everything's within the book there. Uh, and all this was going on, I was allowing, was trying to protect her. So, you know, driving home and I'm refusing to go to see him in the office, you know, was I protecting her? No. And what I had been doing for the last 34, what, three and a half years would be for nothing because he was going to kill himself. So there you go again. You've got that guilt. You've got that guilt. Oh, wow. That something you do or don't do means it's going to, this, it's going to cause a scenario or a situation where you have made things worse. Um, yes. So, yeah, I drove there. But driving there that day, Something in my head was different, you know. I remember getting out the car and walking up the stairs. He was on the second floor, and I mean, I trashed the office. I I pushed over all the filing cabinets, all the all the the telephones, all the papers on the desk. Um, you know, they were strewn everywhere. And you know, he was sat there with a, a gun pointing at me, and I wow. said to him, "Just shoot me." I, I said it a bit more graphically than that, but I sort of said to him, "Shoot me," you know, because this is the way out for me. I can't do this anymore. Um, and he sort of sat there and he said nothing for, a, you know, it seemed like a couple of minutes. Obviously, it was shorter than that. But there was the tension and the emotion going on in the room, so it was very em- emphasized. Um, and then he sort of said to me, I'm not going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot me. And then you have to tell your mum, you know, you have to explain this. And I guess that's the one point that I can actually remember saying, or actually feeling, because I actually felt it that day, was then do it, you know, because I don't care. Mm. Um, and that was... Mm. A, the day where, um, I, if I think back, was the day when my my inner hate, my inner you know feelings of rage, and the, the feelings I suppressed because of um, trying to you know trying to protect others. That day I couldn't, and it all sort of came out. I, I, you know, it's like a volcano, I guess. Um, you know, the floodgates were open, and the little boy mm. with the finger, the dam wasn't wasn't there. Uh, and yeah, that that was when I vented. But you know, that changed an awful lot in me mm. because. The feeling of hate. So, you know, I started to change how I was feeling about things going on around me. So 
so that there is a path that I walked, and you know, you, you never know where it's going to happen and how. But different things go on, and they change the outcome. They change the way you know things will end. They change. Uh, they change so many things, and you're never going to know this until you walk that path. But you, you have to know there is an end. You know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just how long it takes till you get there. But you have to feel all these emotions. You know, love, hate, rage. They're human emotions, and they're mixed up in so many things throughout our lives. You know, not just my story, but, you know, your marriage, your relationship with your children, everything. They're emotions that you have to sort of put in the right boxes, the right compartments, to get your life in order, again, a jigsaw. Um, and that's what it's all about. And for me, that day, that moment in time, that was my rage jigsaw piece, and that was put in place. Wow, pivotal moment. What age were you at the time? Um, I must have been, I guess, about 38, then 38. 38, and that's how long it actually took out for that rage to just move you, catapult you out of your own, gee, I have to carry this burden for everybody. Yeah, that absolutely. Was I mean, as a child, I didn't remember, Um, you know, as I said earlier, so does a child feel rage? I think a child just feels um, hurt, you know, fear. Um. Okay. They're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of the boogeyman. You know, you hear the stairs creak, and you know what's happening. So, does yeah. a child know rage? I, I just think a child knows fear. Um, you know, and and not understanding that there's someone that's supposed to love them and protect them, the wing they're supposed to sort of hide under, um, is abusing them. Um, so, I guess not remembering until I was an adult, all that rage came out in one. But as a child, would I have been able to, you know, deal with that as rage? I don't know that I would. Um, I, I obviously, it was happening to me as a child, so I would have known. I just suppressed the memories. I don't know how I dealt with it as a child because I guess i got 95% recollection right now, I suppose, in my life. Hmm. But I think anger and hate is something that um, is an adult uh, emotion more than the child. The child just feels hurt and feels they've done something wrong and, and feels they're, 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 they're to blame. You know, They're the one that's spoiling everything going on in this hmm. happy household, this sort of family that's, this wonderful tight unit, and you're the the bit that doesn't fit. You're the bit that is abused. You're the bit that nobody cares about. Do you tell anybody? No, mm-hmm. because they wouldn't care anyway. So, you know, wow. does a child feel rage? I don't know that it's emotion that they feel. I don't know. I don't think so. It, it, what keeps coming to my mind over and over again is where was your mom? Where was your mom? Where was your mom? And then how has your mom responded since to reading your book or to... Facing her her husband, or where where is your mom? You you love her so much. She's such a pivotal part of your life. Where is she? Where is she during yeah. your childhood? Where is she during these times? Yeah, okay, that's a big one. Um, I'm asked mm-hmm. a lot. Does, did my mum know? I don't know that she does. Uh, she did in the end because I spent four years trying to protect her from from all that pain and what was going on. And eventually, when I took charge of me once more. I, you know, my stepfather sort of decided to. My family is split all over England. You know, you talk about three mile, three hundred mile round trip. I suppose to get to all my family members. Um, okay. He spent all all night driving up and down the country, telling um, members of my family, including my siblings, my aunties, my uncles, my cousins, that we were having an affair. That um, you know, I was going to leave with oh him and this is what was going on. He came to the office the next day and told me this had happened. Um, oh. And you know, and well, you know, every time I say that, it's it sort of this is this little oh. switch that goes in my head because I, I, I never understand their reaction. You know, because no one, not any one of them, gave me the benefit of the doubt. I rang my siblings; oh my they wouldn't gosh. even come to the telephone. Um, 
we didn't speak to five years um, until my mum was in intensive care. Uh, sadly, she never um, held on to that fight for her life. So, uh, you know, she's passed some time now. I didn't write my book until after she died because mm-hmm. I just didn't think I could put her through that pain. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, and I, again, I still wrote it under a pen name because there's people still living I need to protect. So, you know, every time I say that, it's really odd because I'm still trying to protect people. Um, but I, that's... Mm-hmm. That's in me. That's that's who I am. You know that that is my mechanism. So it, even with trying to reach out to others and healing myself, I have to do that through a guide so that I don't hurt others. Um, you know where was she? Yeah. I don't. I remember at one point saying to my mum, I, I guess it's five years after my stepfather had left. He's somewhere in Europe, I think. If he's still alive, um, I sort of said to her one day, "Can we talk? Um, I want to talk about my childhood." And I mean, she said to me. It didn't happen. I don't want to talk about it. And I, I left. Oh my it. gosh! And we've never oh. we never talked about it. But you know, I sat and thought, what would be the point? You know, if did she do? Oh. Did, did she? Didn't she? I'm not saying she did know. Maybe she just realised because of what happened when I was an adult that maybe it could have happened when I was a child. I don't know. It could have just been you know mixed up feelings in her own head. Something that she thought I might say, but you know she didn't want to take that chance. Um, did I? Did it matter that much to me to put her through any more pain? No, it didn't. It, it, it was a case of I was at a point in, in my life then where, it, you know, would it make a difference? I mean, my stepfather wrote to my mother two years after he left, um, telling her the real truth, which was, you know, we weren't having an affair. What he had done, you know, this, the degrees he'd gone to to actually destroy my life and the people around me. And I know that my mum came to me because, obviously, her whole family were um, aware of the facts or his facts or his lies of what had gone on. And she sort of said, you know, well, do you want me to ring them all? Do you want me to tell them this? Do you want me to sort of, you know, go out to bat for you, you know, say, actually, no, this is the real truth and wave a flag? And I said no. And, you know, and I really meant it, Carol. It wasn't a case of I didn't feel I didn't need to. You know, back then, maybe I would have. You know, maybe if they'd have wanted to listen to me then, maybe – Five years. You know, what would be the point now? It, all it would do in my in my own mind would cause her more pain and hurt, you know, and more um, feel more degraded or more, um, you know, ashamed. Uh, any other name, you know, scenario I could sort of pull out there, really. What would that do for me? It would do nothing for me. It would only cause her pain. So I said, no, leave it, put it down. It's done. It's past. I don't need that now. I've dealt with it. So we need to move on with both our lives. Oh, my goodness, Teresa. <laughs> I just can't imagine you walking around having people have this false impression of this this scad of a guy that is uh, protecting himself by these horrible, horrible rumors. And did he convince your mom? I mean, was she convinced you had had an affair with him? Yeah, I think she did. I mean, he, he took uh, on holiday. Um, he went and did this to my family members. He then drove... Um, drove home and my mum rang me and said that the short notice they were going on holiday for a week uh, and I thought you know I hadn't heard from him for a while maybe he believed because this is at the point in time where I told him it, it was over and stopped that was the reason he went and told these lies to all and sundries because I'd pushed mm-hmm. him to that point then I had this week of um, of quiet he didn't come into the office and I thought okay maybe he realised now this is this is it I, I meant it and it stopped yeah she took her on holiday um my mother couldn't drive, so he'd booked a cottage in the middle of um, of the country, really, in the moors, you know, in the wilds. There was no landline telephone there. A cell phone wouldn't work because there was no signal. 
Um, as I said, she couldn't drive. Uh, I need to explain here that my my father had many guns. He was a member of a shooting club, so he had guns, you know, freely available to him at any point in time. He'd taken a handgun with him and sort of sat down in this cottage with my mother and told her that about the said affair, his you know his side of the story. Um, and he sort of sat that day and said to her, you know, it was it was me. I, I was evil. I sort of pulled him into this. Um, this sort of situation by manipulation. So he t- turned the tables on me big time. You know, it was me that was oh, wow. the one out there. And he sort of sat with this gun in his hand and said that if she didn't forgive him or if she was going to leave him, he would he was going to shoot himself. And by the time she got anywhere at all to get any help, he'd be dead because there was no way she could. There was no phones. There was She couldn't drive the car. Oh, my God. Uh, how that oh, happened between the, that point in time and then the, I, I then had a phone call which was from a mother who'd um, got my stepfather to drive her to a service station. Uh, I picked up the phone and sort of heard a voice, and I said, uh, you know, hi, you know, having a good time? And the first words from her mouth were, are you having an affair with your stepfather? Uh, you know, I mean, the hairs on the, oh on the back gosh. of my neck went up, you know, I, I could have dropped oh. the phone, I was speechless. All those emotions where you feel this, I had a knot in my stomach, my heart was racing, you know, and I'm mm. thinking, he couldn't have said this. How could he have said this? Um, and I said to her, where is he? And she said, he's here. I said, can you give him the phone? And he gave me the phone, and I will be expressive here. I said to him, you're a bastard. Why Why did you say that? What Why? What have you done? You know. And then the line went dead. Um, I thought, oh, the phone down. Um, the next voice I heard was my mother's. And uh, she, I said, where is he? And she said, he's, he's run to the, to the toilet. He's gone. You know, so he couldn't stand there and confront it. I then had asked her to come to talk to me, and I had to wait for an hour and a half for her to actually go from her destination to, to where I was, to actually have a discussion about this. Uh, and you can imagine that time for me, how it was sitting, um, you know. Oh, my goodness. You know, but again, you know, there's some emotions that we invoke in people that we don't understand. And my mum came to me that day, and I, I just thought, well, I didn't think, I knew she was losing her world. She'd had a real bad life of my real father you know he beats her i was month 30 because he threw a boot in the stomach you know he never gave her any money um the only release she got from him is he was killed on, on a road when i was three so mm. that would be her, was her only release and i think her only way out she tried to leave him many times but he'd come after her and said he was going to steal his children and take us away to ireland uh, at that mm-hmm. time you know that year in that century she wouldn't have been able to find us there in ireland um so she was losing her world. You know, she had what she thought, you know, inverted commas, a good, he had a good business. You know, he was very charismatic. He was, everybody liked him, you know. Uh, he was the guy that, you know, everyone wanted to sort of pat on the shoulder and uh, no one had a bad word for. He was never starved of money. She had a house, she had the car, she had the holidays. So in my eyes, which is why I tried to protect her for so long, she had the dream and it was a dream she was denied for, for too long, you know. Um, and, Driving to me, I had the interpretation. I, the feelings I was having were so very different from her own. She must have been feeling that her daughter had been sleeping with her husband, and she was about to lose everything that she held dear. Uh, so I don't know whose hour and a half was worse, but I, you know, I know how I felt, and it was it was immensely horrible. Um, but I know when she arrived at my house, she tried to make it right. She sort of, in her own way, the only way she knew how, um, you know, she sort of said to me, we we, we talked for about an hour. Um, and she sort of said, well, look, we can make this right. We can sort of, like, we can get a house and all be together and live together. And 
I knew what she was trying to do, and I knew it made no sense. And she knew it made no sense. You know, even the words coming from her mouth, she really knew they weren't possible. You know, these, this could never happen. But she was clutching at straws. She was the bottom of her world was dropping out. You know, yeah. and all I wanted to do was to shore it up. And I, I would have given my life for her that day if it would have made a difference. If I could have stopped her pain. Um, yeah. You know, every time I talk about this, I get a bit tearful. But you know, it, it oh, really absolutely. hurt me that day. I'm, I'm tearful now. Oh my god. Um, there was a point I had to say, no, we can't do this, Mum. We can't do this. You know we can't do this. I know we can't do this. And, you know, the guy who's sitting there, my stepfather, the man who oh, had okay. everything to say, the man who, you know, was out there, you know, extrovert, extraordinary, had nothing to say. Not a word came from his mouth. Nothing. He was um, sitting there with her in your presence. He, yeah. And, and you told her, no, we are not having an affair. You told her I actually that. told her. Yes, I said to him. And he, you told her that he's been sexually abusing me since I was seven. Did you tell her that too? I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, I didn't know at that point because that was after oh. the, after that point that I had the letters which um, caused that trigger point for me to remember. At that point in time, mm. sitting in that day, no, I I had no recall. So that was something different. But you know, mm. she couldn't really ever put it down. You know, she, I mean, there was a point in my life where I never spoke to my mum for a month and it was the hardest point in my life because shortly after that period of time um, she rang me every day and she wanted to actually graphically know what had happened you know what did he do as I where did he touch me how did that feel what how was I feeling at that point in time and I I, I tried to answer questions and but it was repetitive and it went on for days after days and I got oh. to the point where I couldn't do it you know and I said look mum I can't do this this is killing me, and it can't be doing. And you know, it's destroying you. Why do you want to hear this? It must be destroying you. But it's like, for some reason, she she was just had a button on on you know on replay. As though every time, the more she heard it, then the easier it would get. If that makes any sense, Carol, I don't. Yeah. I, it, it does to me. Um, yeah. The more she heard it, then the more sense it made, and the less it would hurt. But it mm-hmm. was destroying me, um, and I said to her one day, I can't do this. I really can't do this anymore. You know, if this is all we can talk about, we can't talk. Um, and I put the phone mm-hmm. down, and as I said, that month was horrendous for me. And that month hurt me more than anything ever did to me. Oh, no. Wow. The fact that, you know, I was losing her. And oh, so I-, I picked the phone up, and I rang, and I said, you know, if this is what you have to do to, to get you through your pain and to help you, you know, wherever you want to go, if that's going to get you there, then I'll do it. Um, and we did that. And it went on for a couple of months, but each day got less and less intense and the questions weren't quite so graphic. And we then moved to a point where we no longer spoke about it. So we got there, mm. but it was a long, hard journey for me. It was a roller coaster mm. of emotion, pain, and, you know, intre- intrepidation. Really. I never knew what she was going to ask me on which day or whatever. But oh, wow. Again, it was part of my road to recovery, and I'm here now because of and because of this knowledge I have, and because of where I've been, and the book tells you all this and more. Um, I'm in a I'm in a good place for helping others out there because there's, within my book, there's every scenario of abuse, um, you know, blackmail, any sort of bad, negative thought that you have gone on around you right now in your life. Um, I can help you with that. If I can't help you with that within yeah. my book, I can help you with that with my email address which I will give you freely to put out on air or on your website. Wonderful. 
Okay, and any, if you ever contact me, anyone can contact me. It comes to my private email address, and I will reply. It may take me a couple of days because of my backlog, but I'll get there. So, you know, please put that out there. Because anyone out there listening, please believe me, you can get there, okay? You can. And I will help you, and I'll do all I can to do that. You're not speaking of the pipe dream. You're speaking, you're speaking about so much psychological manipulation. I mean, even your stepfather trying to take your mother away from you, your stepfather having you to live, relive those tormenting times. Now, it was your mother crumbling over it and yet needing to know and needing to face it and you having to go through it over and over again. So many ways that he just kept on creeping into your life and uh, taking possession of it. You know, the, the idea of having to write this book and relieving it while you wrote it, um, it must have been writing a page and then having to get far, far away. Or, I mean, why? How did you cope with the the disclosure once again to your own soul, much less everybody else? As you write, <laughs> absolutely difficult. Um, there were days where I would sit at the computer and write twelve hours straight, and you know, a very good friend of mine would ring me and say, "You know, what are you doing?" And I'd say, "Oh God, what time is it? I've been here for hours. You know, I haven't eaten, I haven't done anything." Um, another time I'd sit down, particularly Chapter 11, which goes into the sexual graphic um, location a lot deeper. That took me weeks to write, you know. I would sit down and I would turn the computer on and I'd write a line and I'd walk away. Um, right. And then I'd wake up in the middle of the night and realize that I, maybe I could write that bit now, so I'd get up then and do it. Um, yeah. It was. It took me 18 months, near on 19 months to write the book um, because there were periods of time, like you just asked, where I, it wasn't, I wasn't capable. I couldn't do it because... You have to remember, this just wasn't me writing a book. It's not fictional. This is fact. So this is my life. Yes. And, um, you know, it's not a memoir of um, the parties I went to, you know, or footballers' wives or something like that. Uh, it was hard, you know. I was writing my life. Uh, every painful word I felt, you know, it was like a dagger in my stomach. It was mm-hmm. the emotions. Sometimes I'd be, I'd be typing and I would be crying, you know, because I was feeling everything I went through then again, you know. So... It wasn't just me writing a book. It was part of my recovery. Um, and the day I pushed full stop, I knew I got there. And we can all find full stop. I'll help you get that. What do you mean by full stop? I'm not understanding. Full stop is when I wrote the last word at the end of my book, and I put a full stop, and I walked away, and my book was finished. So that was full stop in my book. I'd finished the book, and that was full stop in the pain I'd been and full stop in my recovery. I was recovered. I was now not a survivor. I, w- I was healed. Well, how could you tell you were survi- You were no longer a survivor? You were now a liver. How could you tell? What was the shift in relationships and in your, in your self-image and the way you looked at the blue sky or the gray skies? No, it was none of that. It was not... It's not, um, is it raining today or is it not? It was nothing like that. It's not about the elements around you. It's not about what's going on in your life. It's about what's in your soul. It's about you realizing that you found the full stop within you. It's not about anything um, that happens. It's not about anything you do. For me, it was finish my book. For you or anyone out there listening, it's something different. Your full stop is just a a, a phrase. It's a point in you get to your life where you, you know you, you've conquered where you are, full stop, for everything negative on of your life. We'll always have bad days, you know, where, you know, your genes don't fit, you need to go on a diet, or, you know, does my bum look big in this dress? They're not um, 
they're not bad things. They're things. That's life. That's living. We'll always have things we have to deal with. There'll be negatives. There'll be bad days. There'll be rough days. You know, there'll be good days. That's called living. What I was putting a full stop on was my abuse. My um, what has happened to me? The full stop was it's continuing no more because it still had been continuing. Not the, the the you know the events had ended, but it was still continuing because I was allowing them to. They were still there. I hadn't put it to bed as it was. That. And it's not about is it raining or is there a blue sky. It's about something deep inside you that you realize you've let go of that that you don't any longer need. There's no point for it there. There isn't. You don't need it there. You don't even have to let go because it's it's just fallen away from you. It's not a physical thing of going, I'm stopping. It's just, well, it's no longer there. You suddenly realize, okay, well, suddenly I, I feel liberated. I feel different. I don't... It's so difficult to explain, but it's mm. not um, it's not a metaphor that's easy to sort of to sort of put out there for other people to sort of get gist of or understand. You just know, you just know. That's the only way I can say it. Mm. You will know. I, I just knew, and anyone out there when they you know arrive at that point, they'll know too. Mm. Um, you kept your identity private, so Teresa Joyce is not your real name. Teresa is. Oh, Teresa. Anyone out there? Okay. Yeah, Joyce is my birth name. Okay. So it is my 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 real father's surname. Okay. Okay. Do you feel like you're still protecting other people from them from knowing about your stepdad, or do you feel like you're protecting your family from having to know that this is what happened to you, or? Um, no, my family no. My family no. Um, my siblings no. Okay. Uh, do I have to protect them? You know. Yeah, I guess I do, and that's really odd because they, you know, they ostracized me for nearly five years. But I still, I, w- I wouldn't want them to, co- I wouldn't want to cause them pain through my recovery. And I would say that about anyone. I, d- I don't want mm-hmm. in my life today in any scenario. To, I wouldn't cause anyone pain to help me, make me feel better. Mm-hmm. So that's just about me as a person. Um, the main one I wanted to protect is my son. I mean, he went through major sort of stuff of his own. I mean, he was in counselling. Um, I mean, when this is all going on, he was 14. My my husband was, you know, next to useless. And years, years on, we didn't talk about it. But he he really felt, as a 14 year old child, he should have done something. He felt oh he should have protected me. He knew what was going on, but didn't know everything. Um, and he he blamed himself for that for years. He still does. You know, I mean, he has anger management issues. He's seen people. He's been in counselling, and this all stems from the fact he he didn't think. Um, he was up to the job of looking after me. You know, mm-hmm. it was not a job for him. He, he was you yes. know, an adolescent, but it, it made, you know, it affected him. Um, would I want my name out there so everybody knew um, I was his mum? No. Would I want him to be caused any more pain? No, I wouldn't. You know, so if I can stop that from happening by just using a name that I was born with, then that's what I'm going to do. You know, it's uh, does he know everything? No, he doesn't. But he doesn't need to, um, and he doesn't want to. He knows I've written the book. He doesn't want to read it, um, oh, wow. and that's fine. You know, I accept that. He mm. he's happy that I've done it. He he knows I had to, and he understands all the mm. reasonings. Um, but yeah, him. Do I hurt him through? No, I don't. I don't. I don't hurt anyone on purpose. That might sound mm. pretty bizarre there, but I. That's me as a person. So, mm. write my birth name. You know, what's the difference? It's a name I was born with. So you know, that's what I did. You know, I knew that at the beginning of the interview that I was really going to enjoy getting to know you. You, Your urge to uh, not create harm for others, 
almost like you're saying, no, the harm stops with me. I'm not going to try to extend this harm any farther. The harm stops with me, and that, that full stop is that I don't intend to open up or create harm inside of others. I'm just not going to do that. But, boy, Teresa, that's a tremendous amount of strength, and I can't help but think that's also a, 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 you know lonely for you or isolating or how do you deal with people having a wrong impression of you from the past and carrying that forward. So to be able to be strong enough to say, no, the full stop stops with me. This stops with me. I'm not going to harm others because of what this man did. That's huge. That's huge. Well, my stepfather hurt too many people. Do I help him along? Do I continue that line? You know, no, I don't. You know, that's not going to happen, you know. And I was asked a while ago on an interview, was this some sort of martyrism? And it's absolutely not, you know. Um, what I'm telling you is the truth. It's who I am. And people who know me and love me that are in my life now, those I want to be in my life. Uh, I'm just saying the truth. I don't want to hurt people as an everyday thing. This isn't an everyday thing. Would I want to continue this monster's reign? You know, would I like, you know, continue on down the line and pass it on from generation to generation, causing pain within? Why? Why would anyone to do that? That's what I think. I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. You know, I'm told I am, but I don't see that. I just see, no, it stops. It stops. I've stopped it. It doesn't go any further, you know, and that's that's just where it is. Well, Teresa, I want you to give everybody how they can contact you, how they can get a hold of your book, the publishers, et cetera. Um, what, what is all of your contact information? Okay, um, the book, as we uh, know, is called There's a Fine Line. Um, my name is Teresa Joyce, and it's spelled T-E-R-E-S-A-J-O-Y-C-E. My publishers are Chipmunker Publishing, which are one of the world's biggest mental health care publishers. If you go to my website, which is TeresaJoyce.com, there is, um, on my homepage, there uh, is an icon to click on Buy There's a Fine Line, and that takes you straight to Amazon.com, which I know is the cheapest sort of um venue to buy that right now i also put out there carol if you could tell everybody they can email me uh, it's very easy to remember it's teresa joyce dot joyce at gmail.com that's t-e-r-e-s-a-j-o-y-c-e dot j-o-y-c-e at gmail.com beautiful i'm going to put this all out i'll put this out in the press release too if you don't mind it'll go out to no, every nation absolutely. on the planet and I know that you have a huge heart to help. Wow, I'm so sorry that any of this had to occur in your life. And I'm so thankful <laughs> that you have such a strength about you to be able to help those that are also going through something of what you went through. I so appreciate you telling us your story. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, one thing. Everyone okay. listening out there, love you. You have self-worth. Oh. Forgive, move on. Beautiful. Teresa Joyce, there's a fine line. And recapture your life as you've been sexually abused or harassed or manipulated, uh, physically threatened, intimidated by people. Your, your life is far too valuable to be subjugated to that type of treatment. Teresa Joyce, thank you for helping us rescue ourselves from a very deep well that someone else might have tossed us into. Very much appreciated. Thank you. You're very welcome, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.